there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Welcome everybody to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. We are certainly happy to have you today. I'm very, very excited uh, for the conversation. Our guest today is a real uh, marketing badass. She's been at it for uh, 15 plus years at this point, starting out at Forrester, uh, had a, a stint at Forrester, then went to Rapid7. She's really a, like a global strategy expert. She's got a passion for building high-performing teams, uh, and she is advisor to many, many companies. She's member at uh, orgs like Pavilion. Um, as well as the uh, Massachusetts Tech Council, um, currently Chief Marketing Officer at Flywire, which is a really cool company I'm excited to learn uh, more about. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Allison McLeod. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. Very excited to be here. It's awesome to have you. I am uh, super duper excited to get all into uh some deep, deep marketing secrets, and also learn more about Flywire and you. So um, let's jump right in. What is What do you attribute as one of your biggest secrets to marketing success? Um, I would say my biggest secret is that as a CMO, you should act like the CRO. Act like the CRO. Yes. Tell us about that. What do you mean exactly? Um, so most of my career, I have been in B2B companies, but I think regardless of if your lens is B2B or B2C, um, everyone should really be tied to revenue. So while you may have people on your team that are responsible for brand or creative, um, really you want to, as a CMO, be closest to the revenue and understand everything you're doing, that return how that is accelerating sales, upsell, client retention, yeah, uh, truly be in lockstep and sharing goals with the sales organization. Wow, client retention, even interesting. Yes. Okay, so um, it's I, I have a phrase when when we do conversion rate optimization, we like to start close to the money, which mm -hmm. is usually like your web form, and that kind of reminds me of this. So get close to the money, get close to the revenue, even all the way down to retention. Yes. That's retention, that, upsell, cross-sell. How do you make sure that you are supporting um, sales or your relationship manager or account management teams or client success, whatever you may call them in the in the um, companies that you uh, belong to? Yeah. But how do you understand that true engagement? Um, again, providing things from the air cover, the loyalty, the client advocacy, all of those things go um, such a long way. And that's like, so most marketers are obsessed with MQLs, SQLs, net new logo. Not yeah. a lot of people really talk about the cross-sell to upsell, the retention piece. Uh, it's obvious. Everybody knows it's like much, much easier to get more revenue from somebody that's already paying you. So it makes a lot of sense to, to apply pressure there. What does it look like? Like, how do you do it in a day-to-day? -day? Like, like, what is it? If I were... Like, let's say you were working in a glass, uh, like you had a glass office and I was an alien from outer space and I was observing you. Like, what would I observe that looking like? 
uh, probably chaos and a lot of talking to myself. Um, I, <laughs> I do narrate my life out loud as a as an extrovert. Um, so I'd say a, th- a few things. One, I think it it all really depends on the the business model that your company is going for. Of course, first and foremost, just like my team does, like a lot of our focus is on winning net new. Yeah. Um, but there's also um, so much opportunity within your existing client base, particularly if you offer products and services that complement what they have or help them grow. Um, yeah. that you want to make sure that you're staying close to with helping sales or your client management team identify those, uncover those, or there are other people within those accounts that could be an influencer. Perhaps it's something that you may be working with, uh, say it's a security product and you need to influence IT or finance. Yeah. Um, that is a big part of the strategy. So I think, you know, when I think of my day-to-day, a lot of my day-to-day is spent um, one with my team, but also with my um, counterparts across um, the verticals of which we serve. So at Flywire, we're a global payments and software company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we focus on not just any payments, but high stakes, high value payments in yeah. industries that notoriously were known to be digitally underserved. So education, healthcare, travel, and B2B. Some yeah. of these most important payments that um, people make in their lifetime. If you think of saving for your college tuition or medical care or that trip of a lifetime you've been, you know, saving up for a long time. So a lot of that is really understanding, you know, go to market motions, go to market strategy. How do we look at things holistically, right? From everything Mm -hmm. that new all the way through to retention and then making sure we're organizing those efforts um, around that. Yeah. So how much of your time uh, would you say you spend on net new versus uh, like retention and upsell? Um, so I will say, you know, that also, that also varies, right. Um, particularly where I am, I, I think, again, it depends on the organization that you're, that mm. you're with. Um, for us at Flywire, we have, um, strong retention with our clients and depending on sort of the offering that we have for each of our verticals, they may be at different stages. Um, mm. so- some of our um, more emerging verticals, like our B2B, um, that is predominantly focused on net new. Um, mm. Where education, there are many parts of the world, um, lots of net new. And then there's also where we have great client bases um, and we're focused on that retention and upsell. So it does, it does vary. Um, and I am lucky that I have a pretty amazing global team um, that helps to tackle that every day. Yeah. So what advice would you give uh, marketers listening that want to be more like the CRO or that are, um, you know, trying to get closer to the money in general? Like what's, what are some steps they can take in that direction? So first I think it's making sure that the goals are truly aligned to whether that's the, you know, the ARR or new sign logos, or even if the goal is, you know, upsell retention of like, what are those goals? And then how do you truly understand it? I think there's still so much in every industry. It's sales versus marketing. Um, It is often like, I guess in a way I laugh, but it also makes me a little bit sad that like I've been in marketing for a long time now and the same problems still exist as they did more than a decade ago. It's still Mm -hmm. marketing only cares about top of the funnel and their leads suck. Um, (laughs) And sales doesn't follow up with our leads. Um, And there's still that huge disconnect. And I still think we're doing it wrong in a lot of places where we're looking at it in silos 
yeah. we're really you're looking at it together. Like there is one goal to get to it. And how do you operationalize and optimize that go to market to understand which levers do you pull at which time, right? Like maybe it is you need more marketing spend and you're spending your you're more effective on digital programs. So yeah. that yields a better return that you can get more, hey, we know these are more buyer ready, hand those right off to sales. Or yeah. perhaps it's like, you know, we don't see that demand. We really need more BDRs in this instance to focus on outbounding and prospecting and going after this target list. So I think a lot of that is like, how do you work in tandem and have that trust? I still see so many reports out there. Um, I think there's a lot that marketing and the marketing team should know, right? Like, of course, we should know how do you look at that sort of like end to end or that whole cycle of the customer. So you yeah. should know, like, what does that top of funnel awareness look like? But I often see so much I'm like, why Why are we showing everyone all of the inner workings? And you end up, it's like data overload. It's like, well, these were unqualified leads. These are leads. These are marketing leads. These are sales leads. And it's like, yeah. but what did that all do? What was the pipeline? Um, yeah. So I look at things like MQLs, that top of the funnel, that is your lever in your gauge, right? That's your lever in your gauge. How do you scale it up, scale it down? How do you get more predictable in what you're bringing in? What converts? How do you build that pipeline? And then yeah. how do you know how to keep building that quarter over quarter, year over year? Um, so I do think, again, focusing on the right stuff, if we bring it back to just basics, it's like, what is what are we all aiming to do? In most cases in B2B, particularly now, it's revenue and it's cost-effective revenue. Yeah. Um, um, so how do you make sure that you're aligning all the stuff and deprioritizing the things that may not be uh, driving to that goal um, yeah. uh, in, in alignment with the sales team? And, you know, another uh, interesting thing, I'm pretty sure that you said this on the on the prep call, was that when you... Like imagine that marketing didn't just like do the handoff to sales and said that they were done. Like imagine if they were involved all the way through the onboarding process and like, and with the customer success team, even like you have some marketers sort of intermingling there with the customer success team. They hear all day long what the customers are saying. Right. And then that can be translated into amazing marketing oh, yeah. uh, material. Yeah. Agree. I also think, um, you know, for marketers and marketing leaders, like ask to sit in on sales calls, ask to go to sales meetings, ask to speak to clients, like get the real feedback because it's easy. Like it's easy to sit there and listen to the feedback you hear from whether that's your sales team or others or what you read or, you know, what you believe or, Hey, we like this. We think this resonates. It's super catchy, but you need to hear it from the client, right? Because, you need to understand if, you know, you're spending your time creating pitch decks for materials or um, the one pager that everyone asked for. I still don't know why one pagers. <laughs> I need to have like a little sticker chart for every time I hear the word one pager uh, <laughs> of being an effective tool. Um, but, um, you know, really understanding like from the client themselves, what's the pain? Because your, your go-to-market and your marketing and your messaging and your programs are only going to be that more effective if you understand it from the lens of the clients that you're serving. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I love that. So um, I'm curious. I know many marketers have a superpower and I think staying close to the revenue is a superpower, yeah. by the way. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, do you have any other, what you consider to be marketing superpowers, like things that you might've picked up at 
Forrester or just like things that you're exceptionally or you feel like you're exceptionally good at doing that are that have been useful for you? Um, so I, I think one thing which is incredibly important, particularly in a leadership role, is I understand like my strengths um, and where I lean and where I have that expertise. I sort of grew up in the the world of demand gen, and that is my background. Um, something that I'm proud of, but I'm more proud to say like I've hired a lot of people that are way better than I ever was. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think a big philosophy I have is like hire people smarter than you, better than you. Um, Cause that really does help propel you one in your leadership, um, but also making sure that you get, you know, great talent that is, that is driving it forward. Like I should not be the smartest person in the room. I should yeah. not have all the answers. Like I haven't, you know, I've, I've been in the CMO seat for a while now, but like, if I'm giving all the advice on, you know, SEO strategy and conversion rate optimization on the site, then like, we are doing it wrong. I haven't done that. Right. So like, um, I love, I love be, I love just like bringing on amazing talent. To me, I do think that's a superpower is bringing on really incredibly smart, bright people, um, whether that's, they have the experience or they have the aptitude, um, providing that vision and then letting them, that letting them lead and hone their development and skill and craft. Cool. Let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I think that there's, I mean, that's a topic certainly for every marketing leader. Um, yep. and then we'll, we'll talk, uh, about Flywire a bit after that, but about your, um, like, like what are some of your best kept recruiting secrets? If I may. Like, how do you do that? How do you attract that talent? How do you attract them? And then once you're, you know, interviewing them, how do you make them, how do you, you know, position it, say, so that it's appealing for them? Um, I think, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be at organizations in my career where I feel like I've been in building and scaling um, faces. So I find that so exciting and thrilling. And like that does change stage to stage, right? When I think of my career at Rapid7, that was a, um, I think I joined when it was around 100, 150 employees and um, grew with Rapid7 through IPO, really successful public company. Um, and I'm on that same journey now with Flywire. Um, so I think what I get excited about and sort of showing the opportunity for people, it's not coming in to just do the same thing. Like I want people to come in and like challenge the way we do things. I want them to come in and also feel like, Hey, I, these processes may be messy, but I love to find when people see it as like a really great opportunity, like, Oh, I can't wait to solve this. I can't wait to tackle it rather than like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. That seems, that seems like a lot, right. You want to find the people who get excited um, to change things. So I, I try to position that of like one showing people opportunity and growth. Um, and, you know, two making sure that like they see the excitement and the path of head and like what they can actually be, um, involved in and own. Yeah. And do you, um, do you involve, are you like, would you say you're heavily involved in the recruiting process or are you basically like interviewing probably like the, the top or the most senior hires? Um, I think it, it depends on the role. Like I meet everyone on my team. I also help lots of my peers interviewing um, flymates. They may be hiring to their team. I also spend a ton of time just even outside of Flyware, whether that's mentoring or talking to people. Um, I 
uh, I never say no to someone who just wants to like have a chat. Um, I feel like I was so fortunate early in my career to have like amazing mentors or people, uh, particularly lots of amazing, strong women in leadership roles that took the time to mentor me or give me the time of day or listen to me and, you know, um, give advice on career path. And um, that's something that I, that I aim to do. Um, So I like, I do, um, you know, I like to get involved in the interview process and really what I always look for is um, I usually assume that if it's a, for someone on um, one of my leaders teams that they have, they've really assessed that, that, the skills, right? The skills where they need. I always look for, you know, culture ad. Um, I look for aptitude. I look for attitude. Um, and I think a few things of like the ability to demonstrate like high sense of urgency. That doesn't mean urgently act at everything. And I expect anyone to be working 24, but I think to the right things, the right priorities and meaning yeah. like, Hey, if I have all these things, I see that this one is going to have the biggest impact. I'm going to focus my time, attention and urgency here. Um, I think just extreme ownership, right. Um, owning, Mm -hmm. owning their work, being proud of that and a team player. Like we are, we are very big on collaboration. We're a global company. I have a global team. We span from, you know, Palo Alto all the way to Shanghai, Australia. So we spin the globe, which is great. Makes it difficult to find a time for everyone to, um, get together. (laughs) Um, it's, you know, that, that collaboration piece is incredibly important. Yeah. 100%. Um, Do you guys use any, sorry, this is like a micro question, but do you use any like personality profiler or any type of like IQ or EQ test? Yeah. As a company, we use a tool called See Me. Um, me. Yes. Just the the letter C and then M-E. So we use that. We use that when we onboard every Flymate um, as part of their flying start. You can tell we love our name, by the way. Oh, I love that. Flymate. (laughs) That's cool. Um, but as part of their onboarding, they do a see me profile. Um, I happen to love these. Like I feel like any of these personality tests I take. Um, so it gives you sort of the the lean of the the colors. I am a, if anyone knows see me, I'm a uh, yellow green, um, which means like sort of my um when when you think of the yellow, it's uh highly social, likes to involve a lot of people in projects and learning, likes to bounce yeah. feedback and ideas off of people. Um, I don't mind interruptions. I pretend that I like like a ton of structure, but I also feel like my day ends up being very chaotic. <laughs> I told you I narrate my life out loud. And then I think the green is that really that's like the empathy, um, the uh, sort of the, the how you show up in the workplace. Um, but that has been an incredibly powerful tool because when you go through it with people, like there are some people on my team, I love small talk. Not everyone loves small talk. A lot of people don't want to start the conversation one-on-one talking about themselves. So there are people I have to remember of like, right, get to the point, get to the point. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But it does help you. I mean, I think everything in business, no matter what you do, how skilled you are, it all comes down to communications, trust, and relationships. Because if yeah. you aren't communicating... Um, if you're not collaborating, um, it, it all falls apart. And yeah, I think oftentimes, you know, we go at things and we're like, oh, we're doing so great here. We're going, doing so great here. But if you're not communicating that to the right stakeholders, the right information, um, it, it, it does really fall apart. Or communicating it poorly even. Yes. Because yes. like, that's something we talk about a lot is like framing, like kind mm-hmm. of framing the situation. 
Yeah. So um, the example we always use is with design or creative. Like you could be like, hey, client, here's the ad. And like, they may or may not like it. Right. But if you frame it like, hey, client, the ad's ready. Like, here's why we did what we did. Like, here's the thinking. Number yes. one, number two, number three, like, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's a lot more likely to get, yeah. you know, I even looked say upon that favorably. With, um, with working with sales teams. Right. And I think this is another thing um, you see at lots of companies, people have a lot of great ideas and everyone's a marketer. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has an opinion on marketing. So you often get a lot of great ideas or like, Hey, we need to do this. And I think oftentimes that can frustrate a marketing team of like, oh, we're being asked to do all these things. So yes, part of that is the, how do you prioritize? And then the other is also, how do you, um, how do you make sure that um, for, for that piece of it is like, how do you play to their motivations for sales? They want to win. So you may have a better strategy, but the way to go about it is to say like, your idea is terrible. We're going to do it this way. It's the um, you know what? I actually think that if we tried this, this is a this is a better return. I think this has the the ability to drive more pipeline. Like, who wouldn't want that? Um, yeah. But I think often that just comes down to the communication and working together. And again, why you see people showing things and data reports or whatnot that some people like it's the wrong stuff to show. Um, yeah. so it all goes back to like the what are you prioritizing? What are the goals? Yeah, yeah. It's like. Um what do they say? Sales is life and life is sales. <laughs> like all the way down to what you're doing for dinner tonight. Yep. It's like, I really want Mexican, but I'm going to pretend I don't kind of. Yep. <laughs> yeah. um, cool. Well, time's getting away from us. I, uh, You're really fun to talk to. I could probably talk to you all day, <laughs> but <you>. uh, <laughs> let's talk about Flywire yeah. a little bit. And I'm curious, you've been there for some years. Mm-hmm. I love win stories. I think the audience loves win stories. Can you tell us one of one of uh, like a win story or something that you're proud of? Um, I have lots. I think for me personally, um, one is just being with Flywire, even just through it. It's a milestone, certainly not a finish line, but just through IPO, that was a super proud moment. Um, yeah. be part of uh, that whole process, be part of the deal team, working on the whole thing, and also um, our story. I mean, I think um, there are lots of great companies in the world, but um, you know, I think what we do is is unique, right? Like, there's lots of payments company, but how we solve it and how we tackle it. Everything from you know building software that's not just like, hey, one size fits all, figure it out. It's the specific to the vertical that we serve, right? Like custom built for education or healthcare or travel or B2B. Oh, wow. um, it's across our global payments part um, platform. Think of that of kind of like the sending and receiving of money. And then we also, <clears throat> all of that of our global payment network, which was you know built by um, Flywire. So our network, our rails, we own that. And that's in partnership with some of the greatest banks in the world, um, local entities, uh, alternative payment methods. Um, I also think what makes it unique is I talked about the verticals, but also the um, the specialty in that, right? Oftentimes in our verticals, some of our sales team, our implementation team, our product team come from the verticals we serve. So they understand the pain. Um, mm. We are geographically distributed all over the world. Yeah. Um, 
I have a team in China. Um, I have flymates in Singapore, Australia, the UK, um, all over North America. Um, and that makes it truly special when you see people um, coming at it of all different backgrounds and nationalities and um, just just diversity and differences and working together on common problems. It's um, yeah, it's that's pretty, really interesting. I'm not an expert uh, at the payment space. I, yeah. I didn't realize it was uh, unique to own your own. Would you say rails to own your own rails network? So our our payment network, um, okay. our payment network. One, it um, it supports so most most folks. What do they do? Rent their rent it or. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even so much the there there are some that say, hey, they build in house, some it's partnering with banks or others. Um, mm-hmm. but we have built that network and that network has been built with relationships with banking partners, um, cards, alternative yeah. local payment methods. And really what that gives us the ability to is we'll take the example of education. If mm-hmm. you are a student, say studying from China and you're studying in the UK, mm-hmm. um, you go to make your education payment. If you're not using Flywire, what you're usually met with is, okay, I need to figure out how to get this money in sterling, pound sterling, right, yeah. to the university. And if that's a wire transfer, that's notoriously known for being just fraught with a lot of complexity. So whether yeah. that is currency conversion, FX rates, one, just like the visibility into like, I sent my money, what happened to it? And mm-hmm. then on the back end, right? So that's causes the worry and anxiety, not also a great ex- payment experience. Yeah. Um, on the back end, as the institution of that university, you're getting money in, in a foreign currency. It's short of what you need. You're trying to reconcile that. Who's the payment? Who's the student? So yeah. Flywire takes that complexity away. Now, if I'm a student, my institution uses Flywire, I go to pay, pay my tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, one, that interface is like, beautiful, easy to use, but also it it will serve up like my, if I want to pay in my local currency, I can pay in my local currency. Um, Interesting. It and it'll just convert it. It, can, it does pay, the conversion. Pay the way you want to pay. And that, um, you know, reconciles on the back end into the institution. And of course, sort of like built into their systems of record. I yeah. actually, um, so we have one of our verticals is travel. So last year, my husband and I took our 10 year anniversary trip, which we planned when we got married, um, yeah. to Maldives. And I used one of our Flywire clients. So I got to like be a, be a uh, payer myself, which was a pretty incredible experience. Right. So it's yeah, like, yeah, you could, you could put things on credit cards. You could try ACH transfer. But again, like every time you do that, you're like, is this an even like a legit account that I'm wiring to? Um, yeah. That again takes away that complexity, and and the other thing too for our clients and for the payers is that we have, you know, around the clock payer support. So if people have issues, um, troubles, all of that stuff, we have a team um, one not only around the clock but also globally distributed and speaks multitude of languages to help support our um, our global payers. Interesting, interesting. I kind of get it. I'm still a little okay. fuzzy. All right. Um, but it sounds really badass. What's a travel example? Like who would be a client for you in travel? The yeah, So I think the way to think about it is um, these would be more like high stakes, high value payments. So a lot of these, um, we, we work across a couple of different segments. So it'd be um, travel operators, 
um, destination management company. So like an example of that, uh, a maids for Spain. For, so say, for example, you want to take a trip to Spain with your family and you sort of want that yeah. end, end um, all managed for you, right? Of mm-hmm. everything from how do you get there? How do you get to where you're going? What are the transfers? What are you going to do? What's your itinerary? Um, so, and then, uh, so those are, those are some of the, you know, also like the, the, the Hiltons of the world that we work with as well, yeah. the, um, timeshare business. So across travel. So again, more of the high stakes, high value payments. That makes sense. But it's always like some sort of an international or some sort of, uh, not always. Nope. So we, we, while we have clients, um, all over the globes, we also do domestic payments. Um, so mm. for example, in both our education and healthcare business, um, a lot of our a lot of our focus would be in country. So let's take the U.S. for an example, right? We in healthcare we work with um, a large majority of the top hospitals and healthcare systems in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And part of that again is, is providing that end to end patient experience. So um, I'll give you an example, right? So the last time I would imagine most of the healthcare treatment you may have is like usually a pain, right? I will tell yeah. you, I never open my mail. And it's like one of those things that like they forget to charge you your copay. I still never open my mail. And then yeah. you get bugged like a couple months later, you're like, what is this? $10 to collections agency. Oops, I forgot to pay my copay. So yeah. part of what the software does, one is to understand how do you, um, you know, based on sort of the, the, the hospital's guidelines, but how do you really integrate that to provide a better patient experience, but also affordability. So um, some things that our software does is like you and I might have the exact same procedure, right? Say we have a a knee surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though the the balance may be owed is $1,000, our software would understand based off of a lot of our machine learning, AI, the behavior in that healthcare system and others that you may be able to pay that payment upfront right? So that offer to you would be to pay it in full. For me, I would say, well, she's been, you know, based on this history, a payment plan would be better. So it could offer up a, say, six-month payment plan for me to pay that in installments. Uh Um, One, not only does that help drive more affordability for the patient, but also that helps the healthcare provider collect more of the balance due, which would have otherwise gone off to um, collections or bad debt. Um, That's so it is, um, again, when I talk about like sort of the core of what we do, right, is that payments, that sending and receiving of money yeah. built by that global payment network, again, that that allows for that. But on, on top of that is that vertical specific software. Um, and that, again, is both global, but also that domestic piece, too. That's brilliant. It's like it's like a firm or like that buy now, pay later kind of kind of a deal. But for for medical. Um, not buy now, pay later. <laughs> uh, um, it's it is the ability to it is the ability to pay it in installments. The buy now, pay later, I think, has other implications of uh, underwriting and whatnot, um, which is a whole different industry. Uh, right, but similar effect for the consumer probably for enjoys the, for it. the consumer. Sort of the peace of mind to know I owe this and I can pay this yeah. uh, wouldn't be um, financing uh, necessarily. It'd be the ability to pay that over time. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, let's get back to uh, Flywire. Well, the marketing side of Flywire. Sure. I'm, I'm curious, um, how many people report to you approximately? 
Um, so the team today, so across my team is both global marketing, but also RevOps. Um, so we could chat a little bit about that, but across the global team, we're about 45 flymates today. Wow, that's um, growing. So um, we've got uh, got a few more hires to make this year as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's right where I was going. What are some of your priorities like for the quarter and or year? Um, you know, I think for us, um, RevOps is a newer team um, in terms of like bringing it all together in one place. And part of that is I mentioned we have four verticals, right? So um, four verticals, while a lot of inherently what we do is similar verticals at different stages, operating in different geographies. Yeah. Uh, and then how do we bring that all together to really understand our go-to-market across the four of those? But look at that from um, sort of that objective lens of how do we build this across? So um, for us for this year, one is, again, how do we continue to get more efficient, optimize our go-to-market strategies? Um, mm-hmm. We've had great success with um, really our digital acquisition strategy, particularly in our um, travel vertical. So again, how do we continue to refine that, iterate on that, expand that to others? Mm-hmm. Um so cool. again, lots of, lots of great priorities, a lot of work to do, um, but it's a yeah. So when you think about RevOps, that's one of those words that different people have kind of different yeah. definitions for yeah. sometimes. What all lives under that in your in your view? CRM? Uh, so yeah, I'd say go-to-market operations. So across the team that we've set up, um, and we have a brilliant leader who leads this team, um, is sort of the insights, right? Of like, how do we understand the all of the sales productivity, marketing productivity, efficacy, marketing ops too. So managing um, our campaigns, our insights, working mm-hmm. closely. Um, we have both our vertical marketing teams, which are kind of tied to each of the verticals, focused on like demand gen, field programs, really in lockstep with the sales in the different regions of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so helping them really understand the metrics, the data, what's working, what's not across a lot of the activities. Yeah. And we have our RFP team is part of that. Um, on RevOps? Mm-hmm. Or- on okay. RevOps, yep. Our tools and tech stack. So um, all, really of the, interesting. all of our go-to-market tech stack and then um, compensation. So all of our um, go-to-market compensation planning, commission planning, um, and then um, really? and as well. Wow, that all lives under RevOps. Okay. Yep. So yep. that's yeah, that is a large undertaking. It is. Um, it is. I think you know part of it. There's I think questionable of like why would that sit under the CMO? Why does it sit under finance or why doesn't it sit somewhere else? Um, so I mentioned. Well, it's got before. some finance in it, but it's also got like pretty heavy tech. Like they're the ones yep. that are going to be running your Marketo or your yep. HubSpot Absolutely. or whatever it yeah. is. Again, I think it Sending goes back to emails. like, how do we holistically look at our go-to-market and all of those inputs and levers and this team really being someone that helps drive our vertical sales team, our marketing teams, our customer success teams with the insight, the technology, the process, the strategy, um, so while, um, you know, maybe unique one is again, how do we go at this from a, from a singular place and as one team rather than disparate systems, teams, everything across, uh, across the company. Yeah. What are like your core tech stack? Are you Salesforce Marketo or, um, <clears throat> yep. <laughs> Salesforce like Marketo. Most. Like most. <laughs> um, are you guys a Vista company? No, no. Okay. 
so Salesforce, Marketo, are there any other like tools or tech that you guys are loving or can't live without? Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, we are a, um, you know, we do a lot with, uh, our digital program. So I feel like my digital, the digital team could probably share more on that. Um, but yeah. six some others have been, you know, really great tools for the team. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, sort of as we continue to grow and look at what we're using and how we optimize that and, and all of that, um, those are the big ones. Yeah. So what are you guys, uh, what are your biggest challenges like either within those priorities or, um, outside of them? Like, what do you struggle struggling with? I think a lot of times it's prioritization, right? Um, and that always like, I think a lot of times people overlook that, but it's the, how do you stay so focused when you set the year, you set your goals, right? You're saying, here are objectives, here are goals, here's what we're going after. It's very yeah. easy. Um, the squirrels, right? The, <laughs> the squirrels pop in and there's more like, oh my gosh, I need this. And oh my gosh, I need that. I also think, you know, um, sort of marketing teams often um, have lots of requests, lots of asks. I think you often find that marketing teams are very helpful, want to be part of the team, want to be into stuff. But I think it's really understanding like, asking yourself of like, what are the, what, what are the must do's? These have to be done. What are these like, all right, these would be good impact. And then what are these like nice to have? And if there are things in the nice to haves, I think being ruthlessly prioritizing those. And I get it. It's hard to push back to people to say like, we can't do this. However, I think when you go back to say like, Hey, you're asking me to do these two things, or this was the priority. Now you've introduced this. So if I spend time on this, you're not going to get what you wanted here. Are you sure you want that? Yeah. Most people are going to say, oh, oh, I didn't realize that was a trade-off. No, 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 no. Stay focused there. Um, and it's not to, like, there are some things maybe you should never do. There are others. It's just a, it's a not now. But I think really being able to recognize, like, how do you prioritize? And that gets hard. And I think part of it is you got to step in. You got to help people. You have to remind yeah. them. You have to make it okay to say, like, I get it. You're getting the pressure of, like, we need to do this. We need to do this. Like, Maybe it doesn't need to be that. Maybe it could be a 10th of that. And that at least helps us try it and get part of the way. Um, totally. So I think that's a, that's a big, that's a big piece of it. And I'm sure yeah. you know, lots of teams are, are uh, struggling with right now. Totally. Totally. And uh, I don't have a perfect answer for that uh, because it's so hard with just so many, I mean, so many priorities being juggled, especially in your world where you have, teams literally all over the world that speak different language like you have to do a lot of translation type work i imagine like, yep lots of localization yeah yeah so yeah. i mean that must be just like a logistical uh feat or challenge like must be it impossible be. i think it also goes back to the um never perfect, right? So I cannot say we are in any ways perfect on this, but we do operate in global um, country or, you know, countries around the world. So it's important yeah. for us to make sure that when we have sales teams, go to market teams, we operate there, that you are speaking locally to the people there and um, you're making that relevant for them. So it's it's never perfect. I think part of that, again, is is even when you look at localization or what are you translating, making sure that you're, it's like, it can't be everything, right? Like sometimes yeah. you can come up with that the website, it's like translate it all. There are some cases where it, 
that's not relevant for all, right? So making sure again that you're um, you're focusing on like what are the top priorities, yeah. uh, what's going to have the biggest impact, and that's always that's always an ongoing process, right? Working with your if you're in marketing, working with your stakeholders and sales. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get a chance to listen to that, uh, Brian Law? I haven't I sent yet. you. I haven't yet. So I got, just I got the link. Yeah, I will. But I'll just uh, mention it real quick. So. Brian Law from Zoom Info came on and his topic was that differentiation is useless, but being distinct, like distinctiveness is more important than differentiation. And I translated that like in my simple way to basically like, okay, so I don't need like 17 different versions of this ad for 17 different industries. Yeah. Um, which I'm yet to test that or to see, but it makes sense. Like if you come up with a compelling message and you like really hammer at home. It's like what Geico does, you know, like Geico's not, they're not saying, Hey, we have the best insurance. They just like come, you know, with a similar message. Yeah. But as I was thinking about little lizard, right. Yeah. (laughs) You can save 15%. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And they like took over the car insurance market with that. Yeah. So there might be something to it. So if you, if you find yourself doing tons and tons of, um, personalization like by vertical say mm-hmm. you might want to try not doing it for a campaign or two and just coming up with that one and seeing if it works yeah. it could it could make things much easier yeah. or it could maybe not work we don't know yep cool allison well this was awesome you are a real badass uh i am very impressed by what you guys are doing over at flywire i can tell the culture is there too like with the fly mates and the you know the different um cool sayings that you have do you want to do the lightning round oh i don't know what that is but sure let's do it lightning round all right so i'm gonna ask you three questions question number one if you were to start a side hustle what side hustle would that be i go back and forth um <laughs> now would be like so you've thought about this I did. I used to be like excited about a side hustle, but I keep going back and forth. Now it's like I'd open like an ice cream, an ice cream cart in the Bahamas or something when when I retire. (laughs) Nice. There you go. I want one right now. I've I've got three kids and enough with uh enough with that. But future future side hustle. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Literally, um, (laughs) an influential or some of the influential authors or books or um or influencers that have like impacted your career um so i I would say a couple of things i'm a huge fan i know everyone's going to use the tried and true business authors but um i'm actually more of a fan of the the self-help space um, okay. I'm always trying to do lots of uh, self-discovery. So one is Jen Sincero, um, You're a Badass. Love that book. Um, it's called really You're a Badass. called You're a Badass. Um, nice. And part of that, like, I feel like that book helped me get over the hump of like fear of like taking risks in my career or life of like, what if, what if, what if, what if? Um, a lot of that just uh, helps to reframe or think about reframing the way you think about things and the way you think about yeah. risks or bad things happening. Um, also interesting, some of it's inherent in like human nature that we are sort of hardwired to have that fight or flight because, you know, early on in the, in the, in the beginning of humanity, that was yeah. survival. So I love that one. Um, 
That's cool. Love the book, The Alchemist. I feel like that one's another very influential book about just again, self-discovery purpose in life. Um, and then a new one I'm reading is called the book of boundaries. The book um, of boundaries. Book of boundaries by Melissa urban. She's also the co-founder or co-founder. I think of the uh, whole 30, the whole 30. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but I like this one a lot. A lot of this is like, how do you set boundaries at work and life? And I think again, for a lot of us, it's easy to want to say yes to everything. I am like guilty. I want to say yes to everything personally, yeah. personally. Um, but it's actually a really bad idea because one, you get overwhelmed, you get burnt out, and then you really don't end up focusing on, on any one thing. So it's like, how do you make sure you're setting those boundaries, whether that is with, you know, your social life um, or with work, but to make sure that you're, you're focusing on the, the best things for fulfillment. Yeah. And with your kids potentially too. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so that's awesome. I'm into that, uh, into self-help books like that too. So I'm definitely going to check out that you're a badass. That sounds I love great. That one. The audio version awesome. is pretty good too. Cool. Um, and then finally, uh, what do you do to avoid burnout for yourself and your team? Um, so I think one for, uh, I'd say for talking about it, right. So like having open discussions with people, checking in on people, how are you doing? And you hear yeah. them overwhelmed, really digging into like the why. And then yeah. sometimes you, when you hear it, it's a lot of like, I have to do this and this and this and this, um, helping people to prioritize. So I think that's a big one being mindful of that though. Like that's not always easy. Um, for myself, I think avoiding burnout is to make sure I do have that balance with things that I love doing. So for me, like exercise is always my happy place. Like if I don't do that in the morning and set my day, um, and ends up being a bad day. And then also making sure that I really have the time to be always a practice. How do you, how to be present with my children and yeah. block that time, right. Of like, you know, shut the laptop at six, six thirty. go have dinner with the kids, listen about their days. Um, yeah. It, it, as they get older, I mean, they're nine, six and three, but it is, um, I saw a stat the other day, but like by the time your children are 18, they've already spent 93% of the time they'll spend with you in your life. And I was wow. like, that's sad. <laughs> so yeah. it was a reminder of like, they're only little ones. And um, how do you make sure you spend that time? So I would say those are, those are kind of focus. And then um, lastly, meditation. I can't last more than a five minute meditation, but sleep meditation and then I try to do a morning one to start the day. Oh, that's awesome. I'm a meditator too. That's cool. You're into meditation and self-help books. That's yep. awesome. <laughs> yes. Cool, Allison. Well, this was amazing. I'm sure that uh, everybody took a, a lot away from it. I certainly did. Um, if folks want to learn more about you and or uh, uh, Flywire, how do they do it? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Allison McLeod. I'm on Twitter, but I uh, am not a frequent tweeter as of late. Yeah. Um, and if you're interested in learning learning more about Flywire, uh, we're also hiring across lots of different departments. Uh, flywire.com. Perfect. All right. We'll stay on the line one second, Allison. We'll wrap up. And uh, for everybody listening, drop us a like, a comment. We'll do our best to reply. Appreciate you. Love you very much. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. 
This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 